0: <laughs> I think we were drunk. I think we were over. All right. We are live on Uh-oh. the Facebooks and the YouTubes, guys. So, reading Path the podcast number six. Six. And we have one of our favorites today, Mr. Brian Schroeder.
1: Do you say that to everybody? No. Genuinely, you are number <laughs> one favorite.
2: We like everyone else, though, that was on. I mean, but you're like, everyone's here, then you're just like right there. So, we're I'm trying something like- a,
0: a little different today with the live, so I hope it all works out, but... um Wanted to get more people on because you bring a ton of value, sir, and we are very grateful you did this. Um, we consider you one of our mentors, and uh, we're really happy you're, you're here today. So, well, uh, Brian, you want to give us a quick, you know, five, keep, you know, a quick, short, uh, how you got into real estate, how you got to where you are now? Wow,
1: that's like <laughs> yeah, that's a whole freaking podcast, right? Uh, right. Yeah. But, uh, uh, make it make, sure, concise, I'll make it sweet Yeah. I don't know about short but I'll make it sweet uh, and first of all thanks for letting me do Absolutely. this with you guys this is gonna be fun yeah. and, and I love the Freedom Path office here man thanks it's, man and I'm a, I like your name I am a lover of freedom yeah. you know, I, I got two guiding principles right. in my life one is happy I, I do things that make me happy if it doesn't make me happy I don't do it and then the second thing is is this creating more freedom in my life so I like Freedom Path that's freaking awesome uh, those are Two guiding principles that I have for for my life. We're unapologetic patriots. Damn. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Me too. Yeah. Well, thanks for having. Out there. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. So absolutely, you're gonna enjoy it. So the the story. So you've been uh, in the game. What
0: I kept saying, twenty years. Is that right?
1: Well, I started Fast Trust in 2002, okay. so 18 years Fast Trust has been around. So uh, prior to that, I got it. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. Uh, I went to Iowa State University. When you go to the college, they always ask you, what do you want to do for your career? And you got to pick something. So I picked uh, and the, my counselor or whatever, asked you, well, what are you good at? And I, I always was good at math and science and stuff. So they put me in the engineering curriculum. and so I became an aerospace engineer. Uh, I like engineering, uh, the um, the strategy behind it, so. But I hated sitting in a freaking cube. I, that's what brought me to St. Louis. I uh, came down here to work for McDonald Douglas. Right. And uh, I honestly thought I was going to be in St. Louis for six months or a year. I, but it didn't wasn't my goal <laughs> in life to move to St. Louis. What's wrong with St. Louis, man? <laughs> I've actually fallen in love with St. Louis. Yeah. I love it now. Uh, but when I was uh, – Iowa a farm boy. Uh, I wanted to go to, like uh, I don't know, Dallas or Houston or Atlanta or something like that. Yeah. I ended up in St. Louis, but uh, I love it in St. Louis. Uh, I am not uh, going to move. This is my home. It's been my home for 30 years now. Uh, but I, I uh, started at McDonnell Douglas. I got myself a little 8x8 cube in this big room with like 100 people that had 8x8 cubes. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the few years that I was at McDonnell Douglas was right after... You know, in in the 80s, Reagan had the big defense build up and then I started in the 90s. So it was always price cutting. They were always cutting jobs and stuff. Uh, I don't know how I got in when everybody else was getting laid off, but I did. Um, So uh, and it was just weird times that I worked from 718 to 348 with a half hour for lunch. Kind of felt like freaking high school or something, you know. Yeah. So there was no freedom in that for me. Uh, So um, uh, I uh, lasted
2: for three years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> seems like a long time though <laughs> it was. considering like, like your freedom and happiness and all that stuff
1: absolutely i didn't enjoy it and i didn't feel like i had any freedom but uh i didn't know what else to do mm-hmm. so uh i kind of uh, somewhere along the lines i um all this kind of happened about the same time but uh i used to occasionally see that infomercial late at night and carlton sheets was big back in the day ah. You guys familiar with Carlton Sheets? I always, he was one of the original gurus. He was,
2: absolutely. (laughs) I'm not familiar with Carlton Sheets, but.
1: Carlton Sheets was big in the nineties. Okay. Uh, I I don't know how long he's been gone, but it's been a long time. I don't know about gone. I don't know if he's still alive, but he hasn't been on the uh, real estate circuit for a long time. Sure. But um, I got his course kind of got me hooked a little bit, learned a little bit about, you know, the basics about what to do and stuff and um i bought my first house uh it kind of came weird i had a friend that had a neighbor that was losing their house uh to foreclosure and their lender which was washington mutual uh, told uh told the person uh to find a buyer for his house um which is not the normal way that a short sale happens but uh, it's kind of the way it happened in my case so the seller knew uh His neighbor, his name was Mike, and Mike was a friend of mine. And Mike knew I was looking for us, you know, We see houses that are trash that people are living in. Uh, uh, Walked through it. I had, like, I don't know, like 13 cats or something like that. So it just smelled with cat piss and stuff like that. You know, know we've been in houses like that. Smells like money. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But anyway, uh, um, I, uh, I told him, yeah, I'd love to buy the house. Uh, you know, I was looking for a rehab, you know. Uh, so uh, we contacted the, the, the con- his contact at Washington Mutual. Mm-hmm. And that person kind of walked us through the process, uh, told me to m- make an offer. So I made an offer. I, and to this day, I remember what I, the offer I made. I made an offer for 54000 wow. This is 1993. That's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I made an offer for fifty-four thousand. Then I don't know if you guys have done short sales, but uh, they sent out a BPO. The yeah. BPO does this thing. Nothing short about short sale, right? Yeah. Actually this one, okay. this was 1993. It, we went through the whole thing in like 30, to 45 days. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It, it was really fairly easy. Uh, they sent out a BPO. The, the contact at Washington Mutual called called me up that I can't do fifty four thousand, but here I can get. I got to be in this range. You got to be between sixty and sixty eight thousand. So, and that's his exact words. I remember that so clearly to this day. So uh, I uh, said, just to, so I want to understand. If I send you an offer today, if I amend our offer to sixty eight thousand, you'll take it. And he said, absolutely. And I said, if you, if I amend our office. Our offer to 60,000. You'll take it. You say, absolutely. That's how easy short sales were back in 1993. Wow. It's not like that today, but yeah. anyway, I bought that house. Uh, I moved into it, lived there for like, uh, almost two years. Uh, and I think it was actually just a little over two years cause I didn't, have, I, it was a personal residence. So I didn't have to pay taxes on it. So, but anyway, uh, Bought it for 60. I think I put like 20 grand into it and I lived in it. Yeah. And then I sold it for 117. And that's what got me hooked. Uh, Call and, it uh,
0: house hacking these
1: days. Yeah. I believe. yeah, yeah, yeah. House hacking and uh, you know, I, I made good money on it. Uh, I love the process. I love the excitement of it. Mm-hmm. So I was still in Douglas at the time. Right. So I decided I got to get out. I got to get into the real estate gig, buddy. Real estate appraiser. Uh, and the, I, I, did that for actually eight years. I really enjoyed being an appraiser, but, uh, my goal with, with that was to become a full time, uh, real estate investor. So during that eight okay. years, I flipped some houses on the side and, uh, I actually had a couple of rentals and stuff, uh, but that was it 2002, I went full time.
2: Awesome. Well, being yeah. an appraiser for eight years, that really set you up for running comps and doing values like the back of your hand. I'm sure it did. Yeah.
1: I love that. Did yeah. it ever lend itself the opportunities to find deals
0: through that job or, you know,
1: I, I, I used to get asked that a lot. I haven't been asked that question for a long time, but I don't really think I got any opportunities. Uh, yeah. You would think you, you would get opportunities that way. And I never really did. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'd be giving really low appraisal, appraisals. To make <laughs> my house.
2: If Brian Johnson becomes an appraisal, do not turn him away if he shows up your house. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, real, real quick, actually, I went back up to the Carlton Sheets story there right. because you went from Iowa boy to engineering yep. and, and all that McDonald Douglas. That's a huge tr- switch yep. in your career path. How much fighting with your family did you have to deal with doing that? Is it? It's a huge mindset, yeah, difference there yeah
1: so not too much i grew up uh my my dad was uh, entrepreneurial uh so uh he kind of understood although he was i don't know i'm gonna say they were proud of me for having an engineering degree and they thought it was kind of strange to leave what they perceived to be a you know my mom and dad perceived to be a, a you know a good job you know working for a defense contractor as an engineer good steady Um, paycheck, good benefits. Yes, exactly. Nine to five. Exactly. And go out and become a real estate appraiser. Who wants to be a real estate appraiser? What kind of, you know, but uh, yeah, my parents were uh, pretty supportive, although uh, I didn't really uh, honestly, uh, you know, I'm a lover of freedom and I'm a lover of happiness. I do whatever I want to do. I've never been one of those people that wanted to make other people happy, Mm -hmm. um, especially people that are trying to live their life through my, you know, I'm not saying that very well, but live their vicariously. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I do my own thing.
0: (laughs) I like it. Your lone wolf, Brian Schroeder. (laughs) (laughs) So when you, when you got the idea to become an appraiser, were you just looking for a way to get into the real estate game full time? And you thought that would be good. Yeah.
1: That's a big part of it. I was, I was, you know, the pain and pleasure thing, I was running away from the pain of sitting in a freaking cubicle. Mm. And real estate appraising actually had a lot of freedom and to be somewhere
0: different every day, yep. meet different people. Absolutely. Yeah, what I
1: loved about appraising and a similar in investing is I, I, you know, you go out and look at when I was an appraiser, I tried to do two, look at two houses a day, write up two reports, you know, and we got paid $275 per deal back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got like 40% of it cause I was working for another guy. Okay. His name's John Legrand. Awesome dude. Uh, loved uh, the time I spent with John. But uh, so I don't know what forty percent of two seventy five is, but that's what I made for every appraisal I did, and I did two a day. That was kind of my goal. No, and I did. did it was. Every day, every weekend. It was yeah. pretty Good money. And I, my mornings were typically going out, looking at a couple, the two houses. You know, mm-hmm. I try to set those up in the morning. Then I go in the office in the afternoon and write up my two reports. Yeah. And that was the way I like to do it. I would get two in, get them, get them written up that
2: day, out, and do the next two the next day. Um, and that was a nice lifestyle but it wasn't the lifestyle you wanted ultimately. True. So you got into your own business, fast trust and all that. So where did did that kind of come into play? Well, uh, I,
1: I, I think a lot of people just like you guys, a lot of people start, uh, by wanting to have a partner. Uh, and I, I I think it actually took having a partner for me to have the courage to go out on my own. I don't know if you guys can relate to that at all, but, uh, I was, I was a little afraid to do it on my own, but, one day, uh, my friend, uh, Jim Stegermeyer and I, we went to breakfast at Gingham's, and we, he uh, um, had worked for Boeing for, um, we got for a while and so had I, uh, and we had kind of known each other. Uh, we both had a little bit of an interest in real estate investing um, and we we're both doing it on the side. So we had that as a common interest uh, and uh, we would grab breakfast, you know, uh, once every month or once every other month, something like that. Um, and one day we went to breakfast when I, when I was going to breakfast that morning, I had no idea. I didn't have any intentions or anything. And uh, by the time we left uh, Gingham's that day, we had started our business. So it was just that day, you know, it's just one of those, you guys ever had that magical time where you just make a decision and that's, you know. Uh, yeah, kind of when we went
0: out on our own, we are like,
1: all right, yeah,
0: is <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Isn't that funny how life is? Because yeah. uh, sometimes you just make a kind of a life altering decision, just kind of on a whim. Uh, yeah. and. I got to describe that's the way it was for me because I had no intentions that day of starting our business. And just the way the conversation went that day, uh, we both quit cold turkey within a week or two of that day. Wow. And uh, and I actually had five kids. Our youngest was one month old uh, when we did it. Uh, so, uh, but it was just.
2: Just felt like you it got a, a set good. of brass balls brian I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. i don't know if that's appropriate to be on facebook live but five kids geez yeah.
0: so this was oh two when you went out yeah. on your own started faster house um and early on we'll talk a little about uh, your guys model right now which you're focusing on but you were doing a lot of rehab and flips back then right
1: yeah jim and i had a very simple plan when we when when we both decided to go out on our own uh, and I, th- I think it's a great plan for a lot of people. What our plan was uh, to buy a house, rehab and resell it. Mm-hmm. And our, our goal was to do one or two of those a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's the money that we lived on. Uh, and then we wanted to build up a portfolio rentals on the side and that was just for down the road income, you know, and creating wealth type of thing. Yeah. So it was a very simple plan. Um, it, you know, we started in November, 2002. Uh, I would say neither one of us were wealthy by any means, uh, but uh, I would say I, I might've had four or five or six months worth of savings. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. That was it.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think Jim, maybe a little bit more than that. He was a little older than me, but, uh, um, but we just wanted to go out and do it on our own. So uh, um, first house we bought was on third street, which probably isn't, oh, really? it's probably not like yeah, five blocks from where we're sitting right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That was our first house. So we bought it, uh, bought it off the MLS. Uh, cause I didn't, I was so compared to their knowledge we have today, I didn't know shit. You know, uh, I, our, our first several houses, we bought off the MLS cause I didn't know any better. Um, I didn't really, I wasn't as edu- near as educated as, as you guys are, or obviously we are today. Uh, but uh, bought it off the MLS. Uh, Jim and I spent uh, day and night there, uh, fixed it up. And, um, and, and, I think I listed. I can't remember if I listed or Jim listed because we were both uh, had our licenses. Okay. Uh, I did because I was a real estate appraiser and yep. Jim just kind of did it on the side. So um, anyway, that was our first deal. We bought another one, a second house, uh, kind of like a week into the project. We said, gosh, we are not very good at rehab. <laughs>
2: <laughs> As you're like, <laughs> you're, you're, all your nails are bruised and cut it up
1: so I called a friend of mine. It's actually Don Meyer my real estate up the, up the street here. If you guys know him, uh, he gave me a referral for a, a rehab guy. Uh, his name was John Simcoke, And John uh, was our primary general contractor for like the next six or eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I kind of took over the role of finding the deals. Uh, Jim kind of took over the role of uh, managing the rehab. Uh, it, Jim's wife, Claire became a real estate agent. And my wife did the bookkeeping. So that was our team for the first couple of years. years. Exactly. Uh, and it, it was actually a great team, uh, worked out really well. Jim and I, um, I used to call it two men in a truck, because Jim and I would drive around in his truck, we'd go look at a bunch of houses, I'd go make offers on them. Uh, and then once we got something under contract, we liked to do the demo. We did the demo for probably the first five or six years that we were doing this. Really long, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, we just, it's always fun. Take a hammer and go wreck some stuff. <laughs> we did. Yeah. we we'd haul the trash. We go to the dump uh, all the time and stuff. Uh, I, I, anyway, it was fun. I enjoyed doing. I was I say with, with, hang out with your buddy and with you five
2: know. with five kids at the house. Yeah, screaming and yelling, <laughs> sometimes breaking things is just what the doctor ordered.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we bring them along sometimes. Uh, they didn't really like it, but uh, you know, all in trash or uh, whatever it was. But. Uh, Anyway, that was the beginning and then we started building, buying rentals. We, we bought our first rental in February, 2004. Oh, nice. uh, so I kind of break my career up into different segments from when we started in 2002 till about uh, the end of 2006, which is kind of a quick growth mode. Uh, yeah. As far as it was, we were fairly small, but uh, the market was good. Cause I don't know if you guys know the history, but the market, Everybody talks about 2008, but the market really kind of peaked at the end of 2006. Oh. Then, then it kind of plateaued for a couple of years, and then there was a downturn. So uh, uh, it was fairly easy to buy a house, rehab, and resell it in 2002 to 2006. But there at 2006, 2007, there was this transition because it's kind of like the market is now. You, if you bought it and you bought it right, you fixed it up well. They sold quick in 2002 to 2006. Mm -hmm. So then there's the inventory
0: starting to tighten up and you can just pick them off the MLS as easy as you were.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, towards, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I would say roughly 2004 or five, we started doing the direct to seller marketing, you know, the, uh, primarily direct mail at the time Mm -hmm. driving for dollars, uh, I started a website. We are we actually in the yellow pages. Guys, I guess
2: I don't remember that. Today,
1: <laughs> we remember. Yeah. That? <laughs> Not that, young, Brian. <laughs> but yeah, we used to have an ad in the yellow page, full full page ad, fast You know, and it worked back in the day. Oh yeah, I'm sure did.
0: If you're the one that got a full page ad in the book when that's how everybody found out information back yep. then before
2: the internet. I says. want to say the only competition you probably had was ugly houses.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a big company called Bellington real estate. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever, you guys to Bellington No. Bellington was the big dog on the block. Uh, they, uh, they, they had a great company. Actually what we the company we currently have the faster house. i modeled a lot after what, what they were back okay. in the day. Okay. Uh, they actually um, believe it or not, they uh, went out of business 2008, nine, 10 timeframe. Uh, the dude uh, that was the, ran the company and there was, they had some great guys there. Uh, I've had a sar- few of them work for us over time and there's a lot of them still around uh, after their acquisitions guys. Yeah. Uh, but the owner, his name was Mike Litz. Uh, just, uh, he was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know. He's a partier. He was a spender. Uh, every dollar he made, he would spend it. Uh, he had yachts, he had multiple homes. He had a big house down in Ladue. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so when the downturn came, uh, it took him under, yeah, wow. it, was a, it was a bummer I, I saw a lot of people go under in 2008 9 10. How, oh. did, how did
2: that affect how you structure your daily life and your your daily expenses and stuff like that because you, you don't live flashy whatsoever though i think you could probably have a little bit more flash if you, wanted you, to you. <laughs> you, could, you probably could it's my guess yeah i always say you're like the millionaire next door i
0: mean kind of unassuming but you know yeah. you've got this huge real estate business you know yeah um so those guys that were buying the yachts and everything they went under
1: um, yeah so us was a spender. He was, he was a big, big spender, yeah. But, but yeah, I don't know personally, you know, let's had a big ego. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a time that I had an ego too. And I, we all have an ego to a certain extent. Yes. Uh, but, uh, we were talking about it a little bit this morning. Uh, I spent a lot of time with a mentor of mine, T Harv Ecker. Uh, so, uh, he's not around anymore. I, I say he's not around. He's still alive. He's just not out uh, teaching and coaching years. and stuff. Um, but I learned a lot from that dude. And one of the things that I learned was to, to be humble because you just never know. You never And, you know, uh, living through those time that 2008 to 10, 10 timeframe, uh, I saw a lot of people struggle. I saw a lot of people, good people go bankrupt. I saw good people kill themselves because they, were their identity was wrapped up in uh you know making money and having things and stuff and when it went away they couldn't take it.
0: They lost their identity. Yeah. They did. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there to where we're at (laughs) today. It's kind of seeing some similarities here. We'll get into it a little bit. So we got up to oh six, your growth mode. Um you guys were doing these flips, got your team all settled in. Yeah. And you started
1: buying, so you bought your first rental in 04 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We bought, I don't know. I'm going to guess maybe five or six rentals in 4 We probably bought another 10 or 12 in 05, maybe another 20 in 06 So okay. when, when it started, the market started to turn, I think we had about 40 rentals oh, wow. give or take, I can't remember exactly. Um, so your original plan was to just keep flipping properties. At what
0: point were you decided the rental game sounded pretty good to you
1: guys? Well, we, we wanted to buy um, rentals from the very beginning. Our, our original game plan was to flip a couple houses uh, a month to live on and build a portfolio of rentals. We kept the flipping business going. As a matter of fact, I don't know, in 2006, we might've done 50 or 60, something like that flips, give right. or take. Um, and... Uh, like I said, I think we had around 40 rentals. Um, and then uh, the market plateaued for like a year. 2007 was like a plateau year. Mm-hmm. So everybody that was used to, you know, you list a house that sold that weekend or the next week or something. Well, kind of like today. Yeah, It turned into where you list a house. You might sit on it for <laughs> two, three, four, five five months. Oh, wow.
2: So you're holding costs are building up and yep. you're starting to feel the crunch. Like you're not making as much profit. Right. Yeah. So. It's exactly right. Yeah.
1: yeah. And the people that were buying super tight, they by the end of 2007, they were out of business. Uh, uh, but you know, it, it took a little while, 2008, nine and 10 is what really drove people out of business uh, big time. And, and, but 2007 was getting rid of all the fluff, you know, all the people that are out there that, you know, the two men in the truck like I was in the beginning, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or the kind of the guys that just, they're just, they're just living paycheck to paycheck. But uh, if anything goes wrong, they're, they're overpaying. Uh, those people went out of got, you know, they lost a lot of money in
2: 2007. They're the first guess, ones to go. First surprised. ones to go. That's yeah. the way to say it. Yeah. yeah. So
0: this is a good point to bring it up because there's an inevitable market crash coming. Maybe we already had it earlier in the year. And- I don't think, I think that was kind of a bubble burst and the big ones really coming still. So 08 was huge. We're up to that point in your timeline here. So how did you guys, what would you say was the factor that made you survive that downturn?
1: More than anything was just having the mindset to not quit. Uh, And so when you go out of business, I'll tell you the day that everybody goes out of business when they have $0 in their bank account and they can't, uh, can't write a, can't pay a mortgage or or pay a contractor or whatever. Yeah. So the game is to don't ever get to that point. Um, so uh, I did Jim and I we did whatever it took, uh, and and in part because I, I knew it couldn't go prices couldn't go down forever. Uh, I knew it that, it would, that it would turn back up at some point. Um, and uh, so I always try to separate our flipping business from our rental business. Our flipping business, we we had a tough period of time there for a little bit until everybody got out of the business, Mm -hmm. and then you could start buying at bigger discounts, so uh, you couldn't sell it as easy, but you could buy it at so much cheaper that you could still make money in the flipping business. Mm -hmm. So there was really only about a six-month period of time when values peaked and kind of plateaued and maybe even started going down a little bit where most all the people got out of the business, and we we could just buy houses really deep. So uh, the flipping business,
2: it, it didn't take that long where we could still keep making money in the flipping business. There's some optimism in that story for what's going on in the future here. Yeah. Right. Like for those of us who can stay, hopefully those of us who can stay in the business in the real estate business, we can yep. still make money. Yes. It, 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 there's always, we just shift the margins yes. right? and where your offers are. So I remember
0: in 08, like seeing on TV, just they're showing neighborhood yard signs everywhere. Yeah. Selling and yep. all these flippers that, were overextended and high price ranges, they probably got wiped out because yep. either by the time the things settled down, they probably couldn't sell it at what they planned for, taking losses. Are, are those the people you
1: saw get wiped out of the business mostly? Or Yeah. I mean, the the people that stayed in the business are the ones. Number one, they didn't give up. And number two, they didn't run out of money. And running out of money means having enough money in your checking account to pay the bills, whether that's what you're living on personally or to pay your contractors, to pay your mortgages, whatever it is. And the second part of it is, you gotta be able to keep your lenders confident enough to keep lending to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, a lot of people, their financing dried up as in if they were using banks, their bank wouldn't lend to them anymore. Or if they were using private lenders, their private lenders got scared. So, what Jim and I did do really well is we communicated really well with our lenders and they never stopped lending to us. Uh, that was a
2: differentiator for us. Uh, I think, I think we did a really good job of that. So when you when you talk about communicating with your lenders, you're just being honest with them. Yeah. What's going on, right? Yep. So not holding anything back, not nope. putting fluff in it. You're just like, Hey, here's where I'm at. I'll try to get the check in the mail next week for sure. But you'll get, your I month. don't try. I will. Get the I will check get. The check mail. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for qualifying that. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's the message that you're saying.
1: Right. yeah you know, sugarcoat it because they know what's going on yeah but you also got to present confidence that you are doing gonna be able to get through this and you're Absolutely. gonna you're gonna be able to pay them back yep. so uh um you know that that's one thing that i think jim and i did a really good job of is just projecting that confidence we you know internally in my head i definitely wavered whether or not we are going to get through it for a little while that's one of the things that Harbacker helped me with is he helped me to uh keep that positive attitude and that never give up attitude because there was, you know, values went down from late 2006 to 2012. There was six, that's six years. That's a long freaking time. It's like an eternity. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't don't foresee that happening anytime in the next, in the near future, but that's what happened. And uh, if you didn't have the rental portfolio
0: you did at that time in 08,
1: could you have survived it? Well, uh, and a lot of people ask me that. And unfortunately I didn't build my rental portfolio smartly. Uh, so when, and so I, I really try to, what people that I'm talking to or coaching or, or working with in our masterminds, I try to really make sure harp on them to make sure that every deal cash flows yeah. because when, when I started building my rental portfolio, this was my, uh, um, thought process, uh, Jim and I needed one or two houses a month to buy, rehab, and resell to live on. Anything else we bought, we kept it as a rental. Yeah. And that was my qualifying criteria, which is horrible. You, you got to look at houses way better than that. Well, it's, it's,
2: <laughs> it's simple, though, right? <laughs> it is. A little,
1: a little too simple, maybe. Way too simple. <laughs> I've heard you say this before. You said if there was a deal,
0: I bought I yes, it. Yeah, that's it, right.
1: Or, that's you know. right. So I I was a deal junkie. I love deals. (laughs) And, uh, and like I said, if it was a deal, I bought it. And so I, I can remember a house out in Lake St. Louis that was probably in today's world. It's probably a $500,000 house that I kept as a rental back then. Whoa. I know that's stupid. (laughs) It It didn't cash flow
2: negative,
1: negative (laughs) for sure. For sure. It was negative. But the, the, um, it's easy to get in the mindset when values are going up uh, and you know i came a real estate appraiser in 1994 and i saw values just kept going up all the way to 2006 my whole everything i could remember was values going up and for people that have gotten into business in the last eight years that's all they've seen is values going up uh, and it's you get to the point where you say gosh i've so easy to make money. All you have to do is buy a house and own it for a couple years. And I'm going to make 20, 30 grand just by going up in value. And that's what was happening in that early two thousands. So it kind of, I kind of, i I, I clearly remember one day I was looking at my, I'm kind of a little bit of a spreadsheets guy. That's my engineering background. No. I, was, <laughs> I was looking at how much money I made one year from all of our flips. And then I looked at how much money I made just from owning our portfolio rentals and how much it went up. I made more money on just the appreciation. I thought, holy shit! I just need more houses to appreciate. Mm. That was my mindset. It's not the right mindset. No, no. No, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys are doing way, but be- well, so much better than me. But uh, my rental portfolio was a drag on my business. Uh, if I didn't have the rental portfolio, because I didn't set it up right. If you set it up right, it can be great. But I didn't. But because uh, we were always good at flipping. We could buy houses at good prices, and we could sell them and make money. Uh, and our flipping business kept us afloat to pay the negative carry on our rentals there for a few years. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Which, and and it's weird to say that, but in 2008, 9, 10, 11, we had a great time in our flipping business because there was no competition. Yeah. It was so easy to Full. find good deals, and you could buy them at big discounts. The foreclosure boom was... Easy pickings. It was. You know, when I first started getting
0: into the business, um, I was still buying houses off the MLS of when I was a buyer for another company. Um, and it dried up overnight in like 2017, yeah. 18, around there. Yeah. Um, we had to totally shift. But anyway, I digress. So we're into uh, the Obama years now. Okay. The What's 2010s. It? Okay. Um, how did your business start to evolve after you kind of got out of that? market crash and then build it back up. You made it through there. How did you kind of evolve over the next few years of that decade?
1: Well, uh, somewhere around the 2010. So where you were saying there, it was, it, it was wow. honestly the best time ever for a real estate investor to buy deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, one of the things that I did is I doubled down on our real portfolio
2: and, it, and it's, it's what, I was asked that from the, from the long game perspective, was it the best time or was yeah. it the best time for the fix and flip and flipping business?
1: The long game, the long game, the yeah. long game. It yeah. was good for the fix and flip business, but it the long game from 2010 to 2013, the deals that I bought in yeah. those years, those things have doubled, yeah. you know? So just imagine, and you know, I probably bought from 2000 and I'm just going to guess here, but from 2010 to 2012, 13 I probably bought 60 or 70 houses Mm. that are probably, you know, and I'm just guessing here off the top of my head, those were maybe, those houses were probably worth about 5 million and they've doubled. That's That's 5 million right there. Just in
2: uh, when I first got into property management, there was a big buyer, one of our clients, Scott Kruismark. I (laughs) think you know who he is and his criteria still in 2017 was all in at 65k on a house in florison okay and these are properties now right. worth 125 130 yeah. easily easy so he's got a multi, multitude of properties of like 500 yeah just with 50
0: percent of you know at least so those deals are pretty hard to come by these days oh, it it is. Is. It's
2: it's it's, yeah it's so
1: different and from i don't know it's it's interesting once you've been in this business for a while it's it's kind of hard to keep it's mentally hard for me to buy a good rental these days because I can remember what we were buying them four five, six years ago. And, but anyway, you can't
2: do that. You got to just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, evolve but, it with the times. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that kind of brings us up to where we're at now.
0: Well, where you're at now, you've built a huge business with faster house. You have, you guys have how many employees now? 27, 27. And so you've done hundreds of deals, flips, rentals. I got to imagine like, I mean, early on, the
1: excitement of the deal was huge for you. Yeah. It did, was. did that start to wane over the years? It and- did. I, so I loved the flipping business. I loved chasing the deal. Uh, that was the, I was an adrenaline junkie uh, and, uh, but after a while it kind of turns into a grind if you, if you, at least it did for me, I'm not saying for anybody else, but for me it kind of turned into a grind. So, I seriously, and, and in 2013, I bought my business partner, Jim, out because he wanted to keep his life fairly simple. And I kind of had, had this vision of building this bigger thing that we have today. Um, and uh, I'm a personal growth type person. Uh, and the business for me has made me grow as a person. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, that's the journey that I've taken over the last six, seven, six years probably is taken What was our our small company and basically me being, I don't know, I hate to use this word, but I'll say the word boss, because that's kind of what I was at the time. Everything kind of ran through me. Ah, And and there's a little bit of an ego trip in that where you're the one making all the decisions and you're the boss or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's not the way to grow a team. Uh, And I I realized that. And then I kind of went on a personal growth uh, period where, I tried to really focus on number one, how can I create more freedom in life? Cause I, I, I kind of, when I left McDonald's, I was looking for freedom, which I got. And then I created this thing that wasn't very free because I had a great business. I was making a lot of money, but I had no time because everything, all the decisions went through me. And uh, so I, uh, I challenged myself to um, grow as a person to bring in other leaders to, uh, uh, grow my team professionally and personally to be, to be leaders, uh, and, um, and not have, and you know, part of that is too, is putting the other processes and systems. So ever see, so you, you can have a company that way. Uh, the way I had it run for a while is I was making all the decisions and everybody else was basically my helper. And that's, that's, that's not the way to build a business, uh, but that's the way I did it for a while until I realized, um, I needed to grow personally and set my business up like a business and put in processes
2: and procedures in place and grow people into great leaders. (laughs) That's really astounding because what I know about people and personalities and so forth, if you're a hard driver like that, it's really hard to let go of Brian. I say the vine all the time. It's really hard for those folks to let go. So the fact that you were able to make that mindset switch and say, Hey, I'm going to develop leaders instead of trying to have my tentacles and everything. Like that's, that's very powerful that you did that. That's awesome. And you guys have an amazing culture now. Like you said, all, everybody that works at
0: faster house has a definite abundance growth mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to see, you know, you've, you've brought in some people that are co-owners now Yep. and, uh, they're kind of, their are our age, they're your age when you were starting out yep. and to see them grow into leaders.
1: Um, you, you're doing something amazing over there. I appreciate it. I'm having a lot of fun and, uh, I got, you know, they're, they're keeping me young uh, and uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing those guys grow and yeah. I enjoy seeing what all of our team is yeah. doing. Uh it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and a lot of people ask me about taking on partners cause I've had partners in different, cause Jim and I partnered in the beginning. And I think I told you guys earlier uh, I partnered in part because I didn't have the courage to do it on my own. So I needed that guy as a partner to, I don't know, to, to lean on to a certain extent sure. during tough times but also to have somebody to talk to and have fun with you know right. um entrepreneurship can be a lonely business it sometimes. can be for sure <laughs> it's, for sure i get it i can relate but then uh, after a while i kind of started we kind of started going in separate ways and jim and i are great friends to this day but there was that period of time where i thought i don't want a partner anymore you know sure. uh, i want to do it my way and he doesn't want to do it my way <laughs> So, worked
0: out for everybody. You guys are still friends. And yeah, still in real estate,
1: right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it did work out. We split up in, in a good way, and where it was a win-win for everybody. Uh, and then I kind of ran it my own way for a little while. Then I, I got to the point where I, I and all these, all the decisions were going through me, and I I, uh, I kind of lost my freedom. So part of creating partners again in my life was doing it in a way where I was creating more freedom in my life. Uh, it wasn't about, uh, you weren't happy anymore either. Probably. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's running
2: yourself. Yeah. It was a grind.
1: Yeah. I, I used to work, say that word a lot. And
2: it's not a grind anymore. I was, I was actually talking to someone on the phone earlier today about how you can love what you do. And then you get to a point where you can't grind anymore. It's
0: you've,
2: you've reached maximum capacity on what you can do in a day and you stop liking it because it's, it's the acceleration of your life has plateaued. It's, yeah. it's come to a halt. So,
0: well, nobody gets into this business to just have create another job for themselves. I see a lot of people do that. They, and do. they get burned yeah. out. Yeah, You know, We all did this, most of us, to escape some other career or just to create a better life. Well, What resonated with me when you
2: said running away from pain, pain pleasure, right? I I was running away from pain. You were running away from pain. That's for sure. And so, yeah, that really resonated with me when you said that. Um, Pain is a motivator. It (laughs) is. It is. um i of want to i mean we're kind of running here on time a little bit we really want to talk to you about the market today okay and what people should be doing to prepare for everything going on well that's good uh so uh
1: yeah so we've the the economy and real estate is all has cycles that go on uh there that's i've lived long enough to see some of those cycles uh and uh but uh the real estate cycle has been pretty much straight up since 2012. So we've had eight really good years, um, uh, almost nine, I feel like, uh, but uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, and that's, you know, we don't know when the real estate cycle is going to end, but we know it's not in the beginning anymore. Uh, you know, using, using, you know, innings of baseball, we know we're not in the first inning, right. uh, or know we're not probably not in the third or fourth inning, I don't know if we're in the seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning. We're in the extra inning. <laughs> we might be. <laughs> <laughs> we might be. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, um, but uh, the thing, and another thing that uh, I was just talking to Cam earlier this morning, uh, um, interest rates are so low right now. People are used to rates being so low, but they're abnormally low. Right. Uh, what
0: were they when you started in 02? Do you
1: uh well, you know too, I think they're in like the seven percent range. Uh yeah. when back in ninety-three, uh, I I you know, I bought my first house in ninety-three, late nineties, you know, it was mostly around eight percent. Prior to that, it was like I you know, Jim bought his first house back in the eighties and I think he paid like fourteen or sixteen yeah. percent, you know, crazy numbers. Yeah. I, but historically I think normal is in that seven eight percent range. And, uh, you know, we're used to 4% now, four or 5%, you know, so, I mean, it seems like there's no better time to buy real estate with the money.
0: So cheap and as long as they're lending, you know, and, keep it,
2: and keeping the interest rates down because part of the value is based on the interest rate being yeah. low. As soon as they hide the interest rate, the value is going to go, go down. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen is at some point,
1: uh, rates are going to start going back up. Yeah. And I, I think when that happens, uh, Values are going to plateau for a little while. Now, there's also the we got a lot going on. Uh, you know, right now there's a lot of people that aren't paying their mortgages because of this uh, yeah, mortgage you know, the COVID bearance. thing and yeah. mortgage forbearance. You know, those people are going to have to start paying their mortgages at some point. And is that going to cause you know a little bit of a foreclosure crisis? I don't know. I think it might. I don't know. Um, but one thing that I do think is going to go away is you know for a good share of the last six months, houses have been selling. 10,000 over list, Oh. you know, 20,000, 20,000 yeah. over list. I, I don't foresee that continuing. I think, you know, we're going to go back to where houses sell at 95 or 97% of list rather than 110%. Um, so, uh, but anyway, how can people re- prepare? Number one, hopefully, uh, we've made some good money over the last couple of years. Hopefully you have some reserves to get you through, um, you know, a challenging time because, uh, uh and I want to encourage people that especially if you're a flipper, um stay with it. Uh if you if you enjoy it, because it doesn't take long for everybody else to get out of the business and more you can start right. buying lower again. <laughs> well, I mean I can see a,
0: a lot of people are going washed out, like you said, the two men in the truck types. Yeah. Um, it's it's a weird time. When we got into it back in March, um we had no pipeline. We buy most of our houses directly from seller. we had no pipeline. So yeah. we had to fill it up quick and we were getting told like don't don't invest in direct mail right now well
2: actually this was one of them <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we had no option we so had it we had right. to keep going and yeah. so
0: that was a hard pill to swallow so i think one of the reasons it worked out for us early on we made a heavy investment into it while other people were scaling back, so yeah kind of open up the market share for us mm-hmm. but with other the uncertainty of other newer investors they don't know which direction to go in yeah it might just they might be Analysis by
1: paralysis mode, yeah, or paralysis by analysis um, for a while. So, yeah, I would just say just keep doing doing what you're doing, keep marketing yeah. as best you can, uh, but uh, have six months of reserves because that's about what it takes for the competition to start going away. Okay. Um, uh and then you can you know you, you, there's always there's always this margin in there because we have inefficient markets. We were talking about that before we went on there, um, and uh, so they're all people there's always going to be motivated sellers. You know, uh, there's people out there right now that are not taking care of their house and that house is going to need to be fixed up. There's people out there right now that are arguing their husband or wife that are going to get a divorce. Yes. There's people right now out there that are losing their jobs that are going to need. To, so there's always going to be houses to sell at a discount, but that discount will get deeper. soon As the, soon as the market plateaus or starts going down, the competition will go away, and you'll be able to buy it deeper, where you can still make money when you're selling it, not as at list price or over list, but you know at ninety-five percent or whatever you listed at. So for the flippers, that's what I would say. For the for the landlords, if you can lock in your rates as long as you can, uh, uh, that make sure every deal cash flows first of all. And then lock in your interest rate for as long as you can. Now, if you if you can do a 30 year fixed, that's awesome. If you got to use local banks, try to lock them in for five or seven years or even 10 years. Lucas and Sam got some locked in it for 10 years wow. recently. Wow. That's, uh, and it's not normal, no. but ask for five or seven years, see if you can lock it in as long as you can. Uh, and, um, all you gotta do is ask sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you start off. You
0: said the BPO deal, your first deal. Yeah. Yeah, that was easy. But <laughs> you know, we were at a uh, national event a couple of weeks ago with some nationwide investors, and you know, the, the host basically said they the greatest opportunity in our lifetime is going to be over the next six
1: months. Could so be. you guys got to be ready. You got prepared. So we say that from the perspective of you think deals, there's going to be opportunities in the next six. Months? There's going to have to be a market
0: correction. There's going to yeah. be a wave of these people, they're going to have to do something with their house because yeah. they lost their job or foreclosures are going to start happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a huge tsunami wave or
2: there's going to be more stuff happening. Well, okay. I think there's going to be a market-specific um, events happening. So the coast, higher higher um, home-valued areas are probably yeah. going to have more of an impact and then they'll probably just encroach into the Midwest slowly. I think yeah. that's kind of the trend, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and we're fortunate to live in St.
1: Louis. So I think real. I personally, I, I don't. I've never invested anywhere else, but I personally like St. Louis is a great area to invest in real estate. I see a lot of people think that don't you? Yeah, like, I do. Yeah, a lot yeah. of
2: the virtual
0: wholesaler has been trendy this year, and a lot of people are coming into our market just yeah, because the numbers
2: so look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So St. Louis cash flows really well, but a lot of people have to virtually wholesale where where people migrate. So a lots a lot of people are moving to. Everybody people are moving to the South or, or red states yeah. um, right now. So a lot of other people are virtually wholesaling in those places as well. So
1: we'll let them virtually wholesale there. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, exactly. But
0: as far as the six month opportunity, I think everything we're talking about here. I mean, the interest rates are still so low, the money's so cheap. Yeah. You know how to buy a deal at a discount. There's yep. going to be more of those opportunities coming up here.
1: Yeah, like, so I think so. So yeah. let's keep buying, keep buying. Just make sure you buy them smart. If you're going to keep it as a rental, make sure it cash flows. Yeah, uh, even you know, not only at today's rates, maybe even check it. What if rates went up to six percent? Does it still cash flow? Right. Hopefully, rents will go up between now and then, so you got some extra there too. But uh, just as a safety, maybe just check. What would it? What what would it what would my cash flow be if they were at six percent rather yeah. than four or five? this might be a knobs question
0: but like over your time period if you saw the market values dip did you still see the rent demand keep up and rents still stay steady rising or did they kind of fluctuate with the values
1: no uh rents um for the most part have followed values now the the exception to that and we're not going to run into that situation anytime soon. Uh, but in 2005 and six, we couldn't find renters for any, they were renters were horrible. And it's because everybody that could fog a mirror could buy a house. So yeah. there was nobody renting. Fog
2: right. <laughs> Basically if they had a pulse, they could buy a house. Yes. Uh,
1: so uh, uh, right now I, I feel like uh, it's, it's easy to find good renters. Uh, and I don't, see that changing uh, well, what was one of the blessings of the downturn was there were all those people that were were homeowners that probably shouldn't have been homeowners became renters again and uh, it, so we had more tenants and that pushed up uh, rents and made it easier to find better renters and um so i i, I just see that continuing well, i think that's going to continue too because
0: i mean another thing we learned at that event somebody just mentioned like think about the first time home buyer that was like right there ready to make their first purchase. And this COVID happened or, and then they lost their job or they had to take a pay cut or got furloughed. They just got set back years. They did.
1: So they're going to have to continue to keep renting. Yep. Yep. I I 10% agree with that.
2: I think the underlying message here is don't live paycheck to paycheck. Right. Right. (laughs) Avoid doing that.
0: got to have those reserves. Yeah. Or or house to house. even.
2: I mean, so early
0: on in your career, you guys were like, doing a deal a month yeah it probably took a while to get that ball rolling because it takes several months to the process of buying and rehabbing and selling a house right yes so. absolutely so how many how many rehabs did you guys have going at a single time what was the peak you think
1: well the peak is right now uh shit uh- oh yeah Let's let's get. We ever talk about your current <laughs> what faster house looks like today? It's a good segue. Well, uh, we have five businesses now. We have our flipping business, uh, which includes wholesaling and buying, rehabbing, and reselling. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do about 180 deals this year. Last month, we bought and sold 18 houses. Wow! Dang man. And and you know, I I, I look at I look at that. We we did it easily, uh, uh, and uh, that's not the way it used to be. You know, I used to i don't know that'd be a grind yeah for sure it would be a grind but yeah i mean uh i'd say we did it easily because it seemed to me that it was fairly easy and in all of our acquisitions guys were doing well uh lori does contract for clothes i know she was busy but uh, uh she just kept up with it so uh we got our systems in place so it's fairly easy right now i think we're Rehabbing about four houses a month right now, okay. uh, something like that. Um, that's like where it's a little bit more than what you like to do, or yeah, probably a little bit more than I prefer to do. But we're, we've we been cherry picking our, our rehabs, you know, when you got that many deals coming and going, you can cherry pick the rehabs. And we've been rehabbing houses that are like $20,000 rehabs in St. Peter's. That's pretty damn easy compared yeah, to right. like a $50,000 rehab in Overland or something like that, yeah. you know. So uh, it's its not too difficult to do four, four a month when they're that kind of rehab. Sure. Um, so touch
0: on that for a minute. You guys are very much, you have your buy box. Yeah. Very much the medium price range. Don't get into big, huge rehab projects in the city that take a yeah. hundred grand. Yeah. Um, but you're still doing 18 deals last month. Yes. So to me, like you're in a good niche, but I, if I was just novice, and I didn't understand the market. I would think, well, aren't there meteor deals out there? If you could, get a higher price range and put more into it and have
1: a higher profit, you know? Yeah, no, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I feel like it's important for everybody to have a, a core focus. Uh, and we, uh, our core focus for us, for our rehabs is, you know, the $30,000 and under rehab of a house that was built after 1960. So newer construction, you know, no knob and tube wiring or plaster walls, you know, those type of things. Um but if if it's not that, um, and we and we try to do uh, pretty much all of our rehabs are, you we're gonna our list price is gonna be three hundred thousand or below, for the most part between like one hundred twenty five and three hundred thousand. That's our sweet spot. Sure. Now there's some people in town, you know, like uh, Rob over at Core or or Ryan down at Three Doors. Yeah. They they have a different model that works for them. Uh, uh like rob i know he does a lot of those six seven eight houses or or jan duke she does a lot of those six seven eight hundred thousand houses and they do great with it yeah but for whatever reason it just has never fit our mm-hmm. style I, I don't know why we're just not good at it's it it's because you're faster and we have a That's in funny. our office we have a culture of landlords we we talk about that a lot so uh we just uh we like to market tour to, our, to uh, houses that could potentially be a rental because our first, well, we our first for our flipping business. Our first exit strategy is always, is there anybody on our team that wants us as a rental? It, Cause that's part of our culture. We just want to help everybody on our team get more rental houses because that's what we love to do. That's awesome. uh, so that kind of keeps us in that. That's kind of our niche too As those, you know, I'm going to say, hundred thousand to two hundred thousand yeah. dollar properties you know so by marketing for that you're going to find those 250 or three hundred thousand dollar houses and stuff yeah. and we occasionally buy a house down the city that's a hundred you know a, a hundred thousand dollar rehab that's a four hundred thousand dollar arv we're never going to rehab it ourselves but that doesn't mean we won't buy it wholesale it to somebody else yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so
0: i don't think we touched on all five-year business you got the flipping and hold the flipping business the rental business uh, the coaching business. One yeah. of my favorite
2: education, favorites. One of my favorites.
1: education yeah. business. Yeah. We, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with the education yeah. businesses. Sam is a freaking TikTok rock star, <laughs> isn't he? <Sam. laughs> I'm not even on TikTok. Maybe we need to get
0: this uh, video on there.
1: So. I have never been on TikTok either, but Sam comes into the office and he will tell me, We had 1.6 million people watch that video last week. I, I, cry, I just can't
2: understand those numbers. Yeah, I don't either. It's like, Sam, what do you even do for a living? Just <laughs> play around on social media
1: day, I- <laughs> uh, I've been taking some of the sales calls just for fun, and yeah, and uh, the people that are on those, you know, and we're selling into a, what we call our live rental academy. We teach other people how to build a portfolio of rentals, and mm-hmm. he's got TikTok videos out there on that. Uh, so people come into through TikTok, uh, they come into mean, the they sales want to talk panel. Sam, <laughs> yeah, they do want to talk to Sam. Like, who's this Brian guy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But it cracks me up how many people, you know, like just yesterday I was talking to a police officer out in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. I think it was Philadelphia, and he was watching Sam's TikTok videos. And that just is amazing to me. Uh, well, I my
0: one of my best friends who's a cop. I know he's on his phone on the side of the road most times. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Board looking for stuff online. That's funny. Um, yeah. So, well, we're big fans of, of the uh, education program. Obviously, it's accounted for half of our business since we've been on our
1: so awesome. Yeah, well, man. I'm so happy to hear that. Yes. Um, so education, what's the other two arms? I'm missing? Uh, hard money lending. Yes. Uh, so we yes. lend money to other rehabbers and landlords here in the St. Louis area. Uh, we enjoy doing that. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a good profitable business. Uh, but it's also a, a great business where we feel like we're giving back to the community. Uh, of, of what we are rehabbers and landlords, we know that business well. So it's easy to, to be on the other side of it as sure. a lender. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, our traditional brokerage, our Real Estate. So uh uh and I should say Suzanne runs our lending business. She's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Sam runs our, our education business that did the TikTok videos. Lucas is an awesome rock star at running our floating business. He's an he's he's a stud. And then Matt Becker runs our uh, um uh brokerage,
2: Broker, brokerage Magnolia, yeah. Magnolia Real Estate. And uh, shout out to Shelly not for Rookie Rook of the year. year. Yeah, it's really awesome. Oh, did she get it? Yeah, she, she got it. Awesome,
1: yeah. man. She is, she's a star. She's awesome. I love Shelly. Yeah. Uh, I forget. I think she's, did she did. I see that she sold $8 million for yes. the first year. Yeah. That's that's
2: crazy. That's isn't it? She, she wrote on her little Facebook post there, like, I thought that's just what everyone did.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 is that a joke? <laughs> <show?
0: laughs> Everybody doesn't do that. that right awesome. Sure. Smokes. It's awesome stuff, Brian. Right? I mean, did you ever think when you're riding the truck? Two minute truck back in the day that it would evolve into something like
1: this, or you just always had that vision. Well, so we Jim and I started this in 2002, and when Jim and I were riding around the truck, I did not have that vision. But somewhere along the line, when I was working with Harbacker and and some other coaching and personal development stuff, I did develop this vision, and it was somewhere I'm going to say somewhere in the eight 2008 ish time frame. Uh, so it's it's taken a while to come to full fruition. Um, uh, and when I originally had the vision, I had the vision of the five different companies, but I didn't have the vision of creating partnerships with other great leaders uh, and letting them run it. And then I just work on strategy and culture and 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 helping grow them as leaders. Um, that division came later, but the five different companies was back in about two thousand eight. Because uh, um, I, if if you become, you know. Um, you guys ever re- read the book, uh, outliers by Mac- Malcolm Gladwell. No, nah, so, so what he talks about, and this is a simple little strategy, but he says, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you're going to get become an expert at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you become an expert at something there, one thing that you can do very easily is teach other people how to do that. And that's what our education business is all about. We became experts at, flipping houses and being landlords. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to create an education business on that because you're an expert in it. The the other thing, by becoming an expert at flipping houses uh, and by being a landlord, I borrowed a lot of money from a lot of people. So I kind of knew how that that game works. So it's easy to start that side business. And then um, if you're uh, buying houses, rehabbing, reselling them, you kind of get good at listing houses because you do it all the time. So, that's what this idea was all about. I mean, just, I'm just, they all compliment each other. They do. That's exactly right. It's like
2: five spokes to a wheel, right?
0: Absolutely. You've built a business that serves you and provides you the freedom and the happiness that you always wanted. Absolutely. That's amazing. You know, some people never, uh, can let go of the mind, like I always say, and they would never get out of that CEO mode that you were in for a while Yeah. and they would probably, they probably would have driven you to a heart attack at early age, you know? Yeah. So what, what flipped the switch when you were like, I've
1: got to, got to
0: elevate people to help me out here.
1: Well, I think more than anything, uh, there was one day that I figured out that I had enough money to live on the rest of my life. So it wasn't about the money anymore. When I, when I started this business, it was about the money. I had to make enough money to, like I had four kids. Five and, kids. Yeah, I had five <laughs> kids. Yeah. Four more in private schools. Uh, and uh, that's all. Yeah, there's an immediate need for cash. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's what it was all about: is and making enough money to, to, you know, for the family to survive and to be comfortable. At some point, for me, it switched over to I. I realized I built a big portfolio of rentals, and the cash flowed well. And I realized well, I got enough money to live on. But I I wasn't. 100% happy. Uh, so it became more on creating happiness for me. And I think anybody is this way if they really dig down inside themselves. How do you become happy is you help a lot of people. And it, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to help other other people. Uh, I get more pleasure out of seeing Sam and Lucas do fantastic or Suzanne or Matt or Shelly. Mm-hmm. That makes me happy. Uh, so... Uh, it's a win-win.
0: Yeah. And I know that's your genuine heartfelt answer because I asked you something similar at dinner last month and that's what you told me, just seeing the progression of these leaders that you're building, man. It's, that's awesome stuff, man. It's, like you said, you don't have to do this anymore. You can right. be retired on a beach, yeah, sipping mojitos or whatever.
1: <laughs> that doesn't sound weird. It sounds fun, you know, for three or four days, a couple yeah. times
2: a year, yeah. but
1: after that, what the hell are you going to do? Uh, that sounds not sound very fun
2: to me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something we heard on our on the mastermind we were at and Florida. like, there's always so many days you can stand on that <laughs> before you're just like, I'm done. I gotta go do something. Yeah. Your brain, your mind needs to keep moving.
0: Yeah. Well guys, we just hit the hour mark, but I did want to talk about the big elephant in the whole world right now, the U S election. How is this going to affect the real estate market? Us personally, just what's going on here, man? People are freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw you and Sam did a video about it uh, yesterday, but um, any for anybody watching, any, I mean, we kind of already talked about how to weather a market yeah. crash. But how do you think this is all going to play out, man? Well,
1: I mean, the way it looks, uh, why? What is? I don't know what the date is. today. Is it November fifth, 6th? six? So November sixth, it looks like more than likely Biden's going to be president. Uh, I guess there's a potential for lawsuits out there that could potentially change that, but more than likely yeah. uh, Biden's going to be president. And sounds like the Senate's going to be very tightly re- Republican, maybe by yeah. like 5149 or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So uh, I mean, what that means is you got divided government. Uh, and I saw they're trying to get the Democrats are trying to get Pelosi
0: out as Speaker now. Well, that'd be yes.
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, are we allowed to be political? here? <laughs> I don't know who they'd replace them with. I think there are real estate investors.
2: about
0: well, I guess, how we voted, you
2: know? Uh, but. Yeah. But like, we're just trying to get at which way do we set our sail here? We're yeah. This is what we're trying to get. Well,
1: and, and in the short term, I don't think presidential elections or even uh, Congress elections really make big deal differences in the real estate market. Right. In the long term, they can because they can affect the trajectory of interest rates or the trajectory of laws for landlords or, yes. you know, uh, regulations, regulations, regulations. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to say it. Um, and obviously, I, I'm a lover of freedom, so I want fewer regulations. I do feel like there are some smart regulations, but there's like yeah. 10 dumb ones for every smart one uh, yeah. and so forth. But uh, um I don't. I don't think the real estate market's going to be dramatically changed, whether it was Trump or, or Biden in the White House or, or whatever. I, I, in general, I think uh, divided government is is good because it doesn't. Uh, it keeps people from um, uh, from a lot of change happening. Uh, and I well, that's like what and scary, markets don't like change. Markets don't like change. Yeah, exactly. you
0: know, say whatever you want about Trump. Uh, I think what people were scared about with Biden getting in is they've been talking about a lot of huge progressive radical changes. Yeah. yeah. They're talking about rent you know, control yeah. ideas about that. Um, we don't want to lose the right to own private property. Right. Obviously. Yeah. So like you said, uh, even if Biden gets in, they're going to have a hard time moving these progressive bills through. Yeah. It's not, nothing's going to happen overnight. Yeah. Um, as far as, Trump being in office, he scaled back a lot of the regulations that the Obama era put in place. Yeah, And the average house, average American household income came up like six grand, I think. Okay. So uh, you see a lot more small businesses that were thriving. A lot that just got wiped out by COVID. Yeah. So I'm asking how, who's going to fix that? I mean, all these small business owners that just got put out. Yeah. I mean, in 08, you saw all the bailout money. Yeah. Um, now we have the huge stimulus bill. Is there going to be another something like that to get Americans thriving again?
1: You know, um, well, my prediction with uh, with Biden in uh, and Republicans have just a slight majority in the Senate. There's going to be a lot more stimulus coming, yeah. and uh, I would not be surprised at all within the next year or two if uh, there isn't some kind of universal basic income where they're writing checks to everybody in the country once a month or something. To, and what, well, I mean, what that means is uh, I higher, I don't, my, I'll, I'll say it this way. My projection of what that means is higher inflation is coming, yeah. which it means higher interest rates are coming. Now they might be four years away or five years away, yeah. but that is, Probably going to happen at some point. So, I mean, because isn't the Fed locked into these low rates for the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, until 2023. Yeah, yeah. So, my, I don't know a lot about, I don't know the markets and stuff like that. But I do know when you, you when you talk about universal basic income, you basically set a thousand dollars a month down to that becomes zero now. Yep. So that's right. That's so businesses have to make their margins. Yeah. Unless you're going to control how much a business can make, they're just going to set the price point higher. Yeah. So thousand doesn't really do anything; it just deflates the currency. Yeah. So the the other part of that, the logical next step is that they have to have a, a regulation to control how much you can make. Right. So in order for that to do anything, for well, they'll just raise taxes on people
1: making over hundred thousand or four hundred thousand or whatever it sure. is, yeah. uh, and they'll make it. You know.
0: It's gonna really high. You guys ever see that movie *Idiocracy*? From like <laughs> mid early two thousands. I didn't. It's basically it's a comedy, but the entire population basically lives off the government. Okay. And it yep. dumbs down the population where we are basically all, you know, kindergarten level intelligence. Yep. And uh it's i mean I'm not saying everything could ever be like that, but when we we saw here through COVID, you know, people had that that an unemployment check coming in a lot of the contractors I talked to, they couldn't keep people working. Yeah, Like, well, I'm making the guaranteed paycheck to stay home. Yeah. So if that universal income thing comes in, how are you going to keep skilled people working for jobs where they maybe make just a little bit more than that paycheck to just hang out?
2: Human nature, man. Human nature, human nature. Everything looks good on paper until you put into place and then you see what humans humans are greedy and all that stuff. So, I mean, we're not like
0: that. We work hard to, build companies and we see that why that's a good thing, you know, to provide jobs, you know, stimulate the economy.
1: But- Well, what I like to say is, uh, you you never want to get bummed out about whoever's in office because, you know, like I said, my my guiding principle is happiness. Uh, So I don't, I'm not going to get all wrapped up in who's doing what or or whatever, but as long as we know what the rules of the game are, we'll uh, figure out how to win. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, what if it changes? We'll adjust to whatever the new yep. rules are, and uh, we'll play the game to the best of our ability, and enjoy it. <sighs> I saw I saw a really <laughs> I saw a quote the other
0: day. I think it was Andy sale you know, the Yeah, yeah. Local guy. yeah. Um, it's kind of corny, but I like that he's like the leader of the country does not lead what's in, the, in between your head.
2: Yeah, yeah. In exactly. between your
0: ears so you're right no matter what happens we're all gonna be fine yep we're gonna keep buying houses and you know can't let it's funny though i mean some people i've talked to are like just totally on the sidelines yeah waiting for the stall to blow over they don't know what to do
1: yeah
0: um i think that's
2: the best advice we can give anybody like life's gonna go on it is for sure yeah. but i think that's a good way to end things here life will can go, go on, on. <laughs> Thanks for doing this,
0: man. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Let's I go play some ping pong. Right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a couple people chime in. Uh, oh, we got questions. Oh, no. Alex Helbig, he's one of the uh, – he comes out to the Fast house. Yeah. Hi, play. Alex. He said, hey, guys, I made it. If you ever want to take Brian out to lunch, go to Gingham's or Prossin. <laughs> <laughs> Alex That's and right. I went to Prossin a week or two ago. <laughs> thanks, for watching, thanks for watching, Alex. All right, guys. We'll end it right there. Thanks for tuning in. Hi everybody. Yeah, next
2: time. Take care.